It's the Social Club. It's a UEFA Champions League special and we are live. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to another live edition of The Social Club, the podcast where we talk about other things other than Arsenal. We're not going to talk about Arsenal at all tonight because uh, this is our third piece of content coming out today. We've got plenty more in the lead up to the Olympiacos game, as well as a live watch along tomorrow and a reaction podcast all coming your way. Uh, so we're going to park the Olympiacos game. I need a break from it. I've got to be honest, it's really important for Arsenal. Of course it is. But for me, I'm just I'm getting more nervous the more I speak about it. And so I think it's probably time that we just push that one to one side and focus on Europe's premier competition. As much as it kills me to say it, it's the one that Arsenal and Tottenham uh, are both not in, uh, quite frankly. I'm joined this evening by the brilliant Dan DeLuca. Uh, Mr. DDL, how are you, sir? Yeah, I'm all right. Just hearing you talk about the Champions League there, just thinking... I just don't know what's going to come sooner. Spurs be in it again or Boris Johnson lets me have a haircut. Just, <laughs> just, I'm not supposed to be on screen with this sort of stuff happening. But yeah, I'm, right, I'm good, mate. Yeah, not, not bad at all. Good, good. Mine's not any better. Don't worry about it. Trying to make it good with all the hair product in the world, but it's just not really happening. Um, I don't know about you and, and, you know, we both support clubs that are not in the Champions League this time around. And I have found it, first of all, I'm footballed out. Like I, I am genuinely burnt out with football. Um, there's been no break from it. The games have been coming thick and fast. And I guess the game last night between Juventus and Porto, which we'll come on to talk about, almost gave me like a bit of a restart because it was such a good entertaining football match. But what it also did was make me feel a little bit upset about the fact that my team are not in the Champions League. And when I see games like that in the Champions League, I start to realise why it is a very special competition and why I'd always rather be in it than not be in it. And do you feel like that as a Spurs fan, watching it and, and seeing a game like that and kind of missing the magic of it a little bit? Yeah, um, I think I've struggled with football a lot for the last 18 months. Um, the pandemic is one thing. I think what you said there, the monotony and, and just football out. I think in, in real football terms, in a normal world, football is split. Every other week you go to a stadium and then every other week you watch it at TV. So there's two different football experiences. Whereas at the minute, it's it's the same experience. You're watching a game in an empty stadium with weird fan noises and and it's just it's just repetitive and, and, and flat. So there is that. And I think... Um, Another thing as well is obviously a year and a half ago, Spurs won the Champions League final, which was a massive peak. And everything since that point from Tottenham has been, I, I struggle to see what's going to live up to that. Even if we somehow spawn the League Cup, sure, I'll celebrate. But, you know, it's going to take a long time to, for that to reset for me. And I know Arsenal fans, Arsenal fans old enough to remember will have probably been in that place around 
2006, 2007, 2008, where everything that followed that opportunity it, it took a long time to start to to start to pick yourself back up again so the combination of those things has made it a miserable season in terms of watching football and enjoying it to that level yeah I've, I've certainly not enjoyed football in general um this season I've got to be honest and it's not you know it's not well obviously the fact that Arsenal are, are languishing in mid-table has had something to do with that but in general I've just I've just not enjoyed football anywhere near as much as I should and that's a real shame but you know, it's, it's the circumstances, I guess. Um, let's say a big hello to, to all of those watching us in the live chat at the moment, uh, to Xander, to T-Talks, who says he's catching in his first social club live. Uh, so welcome. Uh, big hello to Sam, to JB, to Callum, to Raheel, to Thomas. Uh, I'll come on to ask you guys to drop your questions in the chat a little bit later on. Um, what I will ask you to do now, though, is smash the like button. If you haven't done so already, it really does help. And if you're listening to us back on the audio, uh, then please, um, please do so as well. Although this is a Champions League special, we are going to be asking one fan in the chat to give us their Premier League predictions uh, for this weekend's fixtures. We've got a little bit of a table running. Alavi, although he's not here this evening, has very kindly counted up the scores from last week. So I'll let you guys know how you're doing as well um, and how you're getting on against us. And we'll be picking someone a little bit later on in the show to share their predictions. So um, plenty to come. Let's start with Juventus DDL. Um, as a man of Italian heritage, and I know you're not a Juve fan, but it must, you know, it must hurt to see Juve crash out the way they did. For You know, I'm a massive Serie A fan. Um, not particularly a Juve fan, but even still, I found last night quite difficult to swallow. And I'm going to throw a bit of a controversial point out there. And I want to know kind of your thoughts on it. There's a lot of discussion about Andrea Pirlo and whether he's good enough to have a job of this size at this point in his career. And I think we can all probably agree that, you know, it was a gamble. It was a risk. I'm going to say that Juventus... When Ronaldo, you know, Juventus with Ronaldo, are they a better Juventus? I mean, it, it sounds stupid. It sounds controversial, but I feel like the focus is so much on Ronaldo that when he doesn't perform, and let's be honest, last night he had an absolute stinker, which is not something you can say often about Ronaldo, but in front of goal, he wasn't effective. I thought he was diabolical in that wall, um, you know, when uh, when the free kick sneaked in as well. I just feel like whoever has a Ronaldo in their side right now is so focused on getting the best out of Ronaldo that they probably forget the good things that they were doing prior to Ronaldo. Do I have a point there or am I, I just being you, harsh? I think I think you do. Um, I think you do have a point. It, Ronaldo, no matter how good he is, is, is in that age bracket of luxury player. Go easy on me. A very good luxury player. But what a luxury player means to me is a player that 10 other players do work for or make sacrifices for. Um, so that's what you're going to get with a player like Ronaldo. Every team has one. With Ronaldo, almost becomes the the undroppable element to go on top of that. So it's a, a player of that stature versus a manager of Pirlo stature, very inexperienced and new. That is um, that's a tough thing to overcome because 
because there's always in the back of Pirlo's mind, if he wanted to do something different, let's say normal circumstances, if that wasn't Cristiano Ronaldo, he would have been substituted off on Wednesday night. Um, and actually the player who come on when Juventus were on top of the game for a large show after the red card would have had a reasonable chance of, of scoring a goal. Um, in actual fact, the, the thought of taking Ronaldo off and it not work out is quite scary for a young manager, especially a young manager who is on the verge of losing the league title, which Juventus have, have won for nine years. Juventus won, I think they won four doubles in a row. So it's been a stranglehold on Serie A. So there's that dynamic that Ronaldo adds. Um, you know, Juventus have, have done it to themselves in terms of appointing an experienced manager. So they've got to accept that. Um, but the consequences are the times when he doesn't turn up, um, you get what you get last night. You know, you, you almost have to leave him on because because you, you're fearful of what might happen. You know, other clubs have these sort of players. You know, the thought of the thought of subbing a Bamiang off when you need a goal, would, you know, would cause an impact. But actually, there are managers who, who don't care about that. And that comes with experience and trophies in the bank. Um, it didn't work out for Liverpool. But after 65 minutes against Fulham at the weekend, Mo Salah was subbed off when they were 1-0 down. And actually, uh, you find big managers do this a lot. And when you when you support clubs like our clubs at the minute, they're in the second or third tier in terms of, you know, greatness or even below if people want to want to be picky. You tend not to make those decisions. That's how an injured Harry Kane starts a Champions League final. That's how strange things happen that shouldn't um, because you, you've got that level of inexperience, whether it's as a, as a club or as a manager. And I think that's where Juventus are with Ronaldo. So I, I do think you, you've got a point. Whether they're better without him, I think that's a little bit harsh. I wouldn't say they're better without him, but then statistically, you look at the last two or three seasons, the team haven't achieved what they achieved before. Part of that is because the challenges coming from below are stronger. This inter-side mean business. Um, they were they were pushed all the way last year by, um, they were pushed a couple of years ago by Napoli quite close, eventually run yeah. out of steam. This inter-team aren't going anywhere. Make no mistake about that. The pressure on every game is, is, is higher as a result. And um, Ronaldo's, he, He's old, you know. He's gonna, you know, he's a machine, and he, he, machines don't last forever. They need um, they need a rest, unfortunately. And it's um, it's not been a, it's not been um, it's not been a great season for him personally compared to his normal standard. And when you rely that much on one player, you're you're in trouble, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, I, I probably phrased that wrong when I said are they better without him. What I mean is probably is it time to look at life after Ronaldo and and start <clears throat> planning for that because. You know, you look at you look at them right now, and you you see a toothless side, and you see a side who, even in the Serie A, you know they've been pretty up and down this season. You know they, they probably, I still think they'll finish second. You know, I still think they'll they'll jump above AC Milan, um, and they'll prove the closest side to Inter. But that's because they've got a much deeper squad, a much more talented squad, in my opinion. It's not so much because they have improved or they're going in the right direction but I guess similarly to the whole Mikel Arteta situation at Arsenal it's kind of like well if you appoint this guy who is relative who well not relatively is quite frankly very inexperienced you kind of have to accept that things aren't going to click overnight and that it may take a bit of time so it's going to be interesting you know I talk about planning after Ronaldo maybe the appointment of Pirlo was the beginning of that I don't know um but we'll have to see but I mean the reaction to Juve's exit in Italy has been has been massive, and you know pe there's people calling for for Pirlo's head. <clears throat> what what is your kind of stance on on managers 
inexperienced managers like Andrea Pirlo being given a job like that as their first job. You know, it worked out for Pep Guardiola, but often the yeah. expectation can swallow you. I I don't like it. I don't like it. Um, I've been critical of Arsenal's appointment of Arteta, as people on the show will have heard. And it's not, it's you know, it's always an opportunity to have a, have a pop at Arsenal when they're struggling. But actually, you know, if I say something like that, it's because it's, it's I mean it. I look at the size of the club and I look at the appointment. Um, I've got a similar view when, when, International international teams appoint um, appoint people who just because they've had a few caps, but they haven't had a managerial job yet. I look at that sort of appointment, and I'd say, you know, a fourth tier nation like um, Georgia appointing Tamuri Ketsbaya as manager, you're like, okay, well, there, you know, he's a legend of the, of the country. But then if you look at um, someone like um, Holland giving De Boer a job. And you think, well, actually, what has he done to earn that? This is a big, this is a big nation. This, this yeah. is not where, this is not where we should be. And it's the same, it's the same thing with like. Originally, I had a similar view when international clubs appointed foreign managers at first, because I, I was a firm believer that you should have, if you're a major nation, you should be able to appoint a significant coach within your country. Clearly, everyone's moved away from that now because there's talent flooding the leagues. But years ago, when it first happened, I, I always found like when you're bringing in that sort of manager from another country, that that was something the smaller nations did because they didn't have that experience in within within their nations. And, and now everyone does it. Okay, fair enough. But I don't like it. I think, it, you know, it's worked in Pep Guardiola's case and he's gone on to, you know, a form of, a, a form of greatness. Um, and he was able, he was able to learn on the job with the very best players. Um so it, it can work. And you see a little bit more these days of, you see a lot of surprise appointments, don't you, at, at clubs. So there's a lot of times big big clubs appoint a manager and you almost scratch your head saying, I didn't see that coming. Like um, uh, the Bayern Munich manager now, when he was appointed after Kovac was sacked, Hansi, Hansi Flick. Flick. Yeah. yeah, he was appointed. And at the time, everyone was like, that's a bit, bit surprising. But actually, you look at the squad he's got, it's worked out for him. He's managed to coach that squad, pick the right players, but it is a risk. And the risk is if it doesn't work, it can really damage that person. It can damage that, that manager's career because they're seen as their first job is seen as a failure. And then, and then where do they go? And, is, you know, we've had similar conversations about um, Frank Lampard taking the Chelsea job too early. Look what that's done to him. It hasn't worked out. So as a big club, should you be taking that gamble is always my question. And the answer is when you look at the managers who were available, absolutely not. I mean, Mauricio Pochettino was available. Um, Max Allegri's only recently left the club, but he's available. Um, Thomas, tu Thomas Tuchel um, wasn't available at the time, but there are managers out there you can always go and get. And I always hear people say, it was a long-standing thing in the Arsene Wenger argument, but who do you get? There's always someone you can get. And if you wait a little bit longer, there's someone you can get still. You know, we know how quickly managers get chopped now. So to take that sort of gamble... I thought was a bit reckless by Juventus and they're going to pay the price this season and I hope Pirlo um, recovers. Just last point, actually, he seems very bullish, Pirlo, after the game. He seemed very confident that the board were going to back him. Yep. He was making all the noises. I've been brought here for a project. Um, that project has only just started. They're nice words, but ultimately, if you're Juventus and you don't win a Serie A once, okay, that's forgivable. If they don't win it twice, you're big gone. Pro big pro Big problems there, yeah. And then, and then, where do you go? Yeah, no, I completely agree. And 
I don't want to take like we we've kind of been discussing Juventus and we talked about Ronaldo being on the par, maybe Pielo not quite being ready for a job of this size. I don't want to take anything away from from Porto because obviously they defended incredibly well. Um, you know they took their chances when they came along. Um, obviously the the penalty and then of course you know a free kick from which the the Juventus defending was completely diabolical. As much as I don't want to take anything away from Porto, I, I look back on the game and I feel like Juve were a little bit unlucky though. And and so maybe, you know, and I say unlucky because of the nature of the goals they conceded. Yeah. They missed opportunities. They hit the crossbar, whatever. And I say that and I, I kind of feel like whilst going out of the Champions League at this stage for a club of Juve size is completely unacceptable. It's just one of those nights. Yeah, it, it was one of those nights to a degree. Um, but looking at this from a Porto perspective and not taking anything away from Porto, what I liked about Porto was they applied the right tactics at the right time in the game. They didn't go there with they didn't go there with one tactic and stick to it and hope it come off. So they don't know luck in that respect. Porto worked out before the game that they needed to score. And from the outset, they went to find that goal. Okay, they went out and they attacked and they attacked and they attacked. And the first 10, 15 minutes of the game, they could have scored one, two, maybe three goals. You've had chances at the other end. But what what Porto didn't do was go there to hold on to their slender 2-1 lead. They recognised they needed to score. Um, and then when things started to, to, to fall apart a little bit um, and they, they lost their man, and how you get booked twice in two minutes at this level is, is incredible. Um, and then they adjusted their tactics again. Um, and they, they tried to defend it. Obviously, it didn't work. was justified not doing it in the first place. And then when they needed to, to go forward and, and rescue, to try and get the game buoyed by the fact that the away goals rule, um, when you get into extra time, is a bit unfair on the home side. They went out and they, they found the goal they needed. And even just before 90 minutes, they had a couple of big chances, didn't they, in the last five or ten minutes to, yeah. to try and steal the game. So I thought they were very brave. I thought tactically, um, they weren't scared. They were spot on. Um, and... Um, in some ways, where you said, you know, you need when you're watching football and you we're all a bit morose at the minute watching our teams. Sometimes you need a good mental game like that and a, and a bit of an upset just to keep you interested. Yeah. Um, sometimes I the Champions League. It took me a long time to enjoy the Champions League. One part of that was because Tottenham were never in it, but that didn't bother me. It was more the fact that the Champions League went through a period about eight, nine, ten years ago where it was the same matches I'd seen before. I, you know, Arsenal got Barcelona again. I've, I've seen that three times. You know, Paris Saint-Germain have got Juventus again. I've seen that before. I, I don't want to see these games anymore. You wanted to see something different. And at least with the Champions League now, we are starting to see new clubs, not just not just participate in it, but actually compete. So Atlanta last year, really, really exciting. Um pulled up some serious trees, you know, they made they made a splash. They weren't there to mess about, you know. Tottenham, okay, I'll support Tottenham's run bias, but there'll be other people, uh, you know, who looked at Tottenham's run a couple of years ago and Ajax is running the same competition. They'd have been excited by that. Dortmund, a few years ago when they broke through. So it's nice to see something a little bit different, I think, yeah. um, and have something to look forward to. Yeah, for sure. I mean, for me, it is the best competition. It is... You know, if you said to me that I could, that I was going to sit down as a neutral and watch a game of football, I'd always pick Champions League because 
it's just for me there's something special about it i just i absolutely adore it um moving on from juve you know obviously disappointing result for them barcelona are another club who have who have crashed out at this stage which means there'll be no ronaldo or no messi um in the next stage of the champions league which if you'd have told me that 3 years ago that was going to be the case it would have been unthinkable um but barcelona i guess the damage was done in the first leg PSG got to the final last season and they defeated Barcelona pretty convincingly this time around. Mauricio Pochettino is the boss, a man you know all about. Do you think they stand a chance, given the quality of player that he has at his disposal, to go all the way maybe and finally achieve what PSG have been trying to achieve, basically, uh, for the last few seasons now? Um, I do think they stand a chance. Just on the last bit of talking about Italian football, I almost forgot. I just can I show you the listeners my AS Roma mug? Go for it, man. It's a great mug. Look at that. Yeah. Class. That Class. It's better than looking at it's better than looking at his mug. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I do think they have a chance. Um I did say on the pod last week when I was having a bit of an argument with with with, with Alavi that I believe that PSG would, would beat Manchester City. Um tonight watching that game and I watched it all it's the first time I was a little bit worried about PSG because actually they played really, really poorly. Um, they left an awful lot of chance. And when Messi put the ball on the spot, I remember thinking, if he scores this, they're going to be in trouble here. Um, and he missed it and the momentum was 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 kind of lost. But um, I was a bit worried about them tonight. I do think they've got a chance to go all the way. I'll tell you why I think they, they're going to struggle ultimately. So the reason I've got a chance, I think they've got a chance is for obvious reasons. And Bappe looks like he doesn't care who he plays against and, and he's a massive goal threat. Um, clearly, Neymar, if he, um, <clears throat> if he turns up, is going to be dangerous. Verratti in midfield is a fantastic player and they've got other good players as well. Defensively, I'm not overly convinced. Um, but in last year's final, you know, they restricted Bayern Munich largely, um, to be fair, and not many teams have done that. So maybe they're a bit better than they look on paper. The problem they're going to have is, 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 is this. Um, if they give teams of better quality than Barcelona going forward, and there are some in this day and age, unfortunately, as hard as that is to believe, they're not going to survive how they survive tonight. They're not going to get that many chances missed by the likes of Dembele, who's a very poor player, um, by the way. That's what happens when you buy players because they're fast and not because of any kind of ability. Um, and I think there's the other element that when they get to the final, they're going to be managed by Pochettino, who's lost the final recently. and. Uh, uh, still has that monkey you can, in the back. Like, you can you can call him a loser. It's okay. He, he has trophy in his cabinet now, though. So he's he, he has put one in. He has put the, the the equivalent of the French charity shield, if that counts. Um, <laughs> but he's got that on his back, and they're going to be players who are playing with the added pressure of having lost the final the year before, which which does have does have an impact. Um, so I think there's a there's a few things there that might hold them back and there are still at least one maybe two better sides but they've got a chance Harry I, I really do believe that I think when you can go to the new camp sticking four goals and look good for it you know you, you know in your day you can beat absolutely anyone um and that's it's got to got to give them a shout isn't it yeah for sure um Barcelona you know I've talked about Barcelona earlier this season <clears throat> you know we know they're a shadow of the team that they've once been we know that the whole you know, messy thing in the summer proved really unsettling. We know that maybe in their eyes, Ronald Koeman is not the man for the longer term. Um, 
you know, Jean Laporte has recently won the presidential election there. And I think a lot of fans will probably take some encouragement from that because he has done good things at the helm of Barcelona in the past. Um, so, you know, maybe that is a sign of, of the tide turning at the Camp Nou. But I mean, it would be, I know he missed the penalty tonight and it was a terrible penalty, by the way. And had that penalty gone in, then maybe, you know, PSG would have been a little bit rattled. But that goal from Messi was nothing short of spectacular. And I know he's out and I know Ronaldo's out. I always lean towards Messi. And when I see things like that, it's hard to it's it's hard to have my mind changed. Yeah, I mean Messi for me is is the best of the two. He always has been. Um and he always will be for as long as I, I watch them both. And that's because of that's because of what they do. Um quite quite simply. Um what they what they do, what they've done in, in, in big moments. You can stack up the goals and, and you can pick like the number of trophies and the number of Ballon d'Ors and Portugal winning and Argentina not. But when it comes down to it, what Messi can do with a football at any given moment is absolutely ridiculous and it's elegant and it's beautiful to watch. Whereas Ronaldo it's it's more um it's more power and athleticism and and what I like about what I like about Messi is the way it doesn't matter where he is on the pitch, who's around him. It, it doesn't matter. He can he can do absolutely anything, and he does things with a football that that I haven't seen before. What Ronaldo does is things I have seen before, but with just an alarming consistency. And they might feel a little bit harsh, and clearly Ronaldo fans will be absolutely screaming at me at this point. But <laughs> you know, I've seen someone score a header before. I've seen someone. Um, like smashable really really hard into the goal what I haven't seen is someone do it 700 times granted but in terms of what Messi does he does things with a football I've never seen before now tonight he's got the ball out of his feet he's smashing an absolute worldie from 25 yards okay you can argue I've seen that before but there's things that guy does and the way he does it I don't believe you can stop him and and the problem for me and it's, it's slightly contradicting point but it links back a little bit to what we were saying about Juventus just now. One of the issues I have with Barcelona and Juan Laporta and him being elected is what he's basically said in his election, is um, in, in his manifesto or whatever whatever it's called over there, weird setup there in Spain, is he's going to keep Messi at the club. That's his pledge. And I'm looking at it and thinking, why? Why, why, is, that, why is that your strategy? Because, because at this point, what I'm saying is, if you're that that team has got a lot of problems, you've got Messi who quite openly wants to leave. You know, he can't he can't find it in his heart to say those words, but he wants to leave. So now you want to build another team around this guy, um, and I wonder if that's the right strategy. Yes, the argument is, well, look what he can do, but is building ten other players to supplement this guy an appropriate long term strategy? Yeah. I'm I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure it is. What Barcelona haven't done is they haven't rebuilt. They've not built around the the genius three that they had, which is clearly Xavi, Iniesta, and Messi. They've not built around that. They've not had replacements at a time when they could have bought in anything they want. What they've done is they've they've overpaid for four players who were doing well at that particular time. But there's been no real strategy. So I, I don't think, even though he's the greatest player I've ever seen, Barcelona are out of the Champions League in the last 16 stage. They lost 8-2 to Bayern Munich last year. 
the reason those results have taken place is because Messi's past his peak. Yeah. And past his peak might still be very good, but why do you want to then go and build a team around that for the next three or four years? Yeah, and, and, and as you said, especially if he's if he doesn't want to go. And I think his actions in the summer where they ultimately tried to use a clause that unfortunately was ruled for them uh, not to even be valid. The fact that they tried to use that to get out just tells you all you need to know. And, and I completely agree. It's probably time, as great as he is, for Barcelona to start looking at the future. And it goes back to the point I was making about Juventus as well. It's not because Ronaldo and Messi are not good players. It's not because they're not the great. They're the greatest players that I've seen in my lifetime. But it's, it, you know, there's that everything has a cycle. Everything has a time. And those times, I think, are probably slightly past. I think you need if you're looking for the future, if you're looking to build a, almost a dynasty again at Barcelona, then now is the time to 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 move Lionel Messi out the door, let him have the send off he deserves, and, and and just start again. I mean, talking about sort of the players that you know are great and have been great over the last ten years, I want to just I don't want to get too deep into the Dortmund Sevilla game. Um, but I want to talk about Haaland because the guy is incredible. Um, he scores goals with such ease, all types of different goals. He can run in behind. He can he can volley the ball. He can head the ball. He can play as a, a target man. He can do it all. It's actually frightening how good this young lad is. And I think he's got the character as well um, that you need to be an elite athlete. That little bit of arrogance that just helps you get to that next level. What have you made of him? And would you agree with me when I say that alongside Robert Lewandowski, he's probably the most devastating centre forward in Europe right now? Yeah, you can't argue, can't argue with that. I think you've got, you know, Lewandowski, him and Mbappe are the, are the standout forwards at, the, at this moment. And that includes Cristiano Ronaldo, um, to, to be fair. They're, they're the three standout forwards at, the, at this moment. And then there's, there's, there's a group behind. Um, He's brilliant. He's the sort of player that I look at and it frustrates me. And the reason it frustrates me is because I look at Haaland, where he came from, and I look at him and say, any club could have signed him. Any British club wanting to break into that elite could have signed that player with an appropriate scouting network rather than actually what we do is we'll just wait another year, see if he's any good. And now someone else has bought him and now he is good. And guess what? Now we can't afford him. So we'll just slum it and and you know buy some uprising star from Norwich you know it, it must frustrate you as an Arsenal fan when you see that it frustrates me certainly as a Tottenham fan and I know we both have decent centre forwards at our club at the minute <clears throat> but a player like that is you know there are players out there is, is what I'm saying and yeah. I wonder in this day and age what sort of things scout that scouting networks are, are in place that um at clubs who are not quite at the top of their quite quite at the top of their divisions because you kind of look at your own players and last year with Arsenal it was like well you know there's a Bamian of Bamian leaves what are we going to do and I said on this pod I wouldn't be too worried because you had Sanchez you had Van Persie you had this striker every time someone leaves another striker comes in and I kind of feel the same with Tottenham and Harry Kane it's almost like well when he leaves, the whole club's going to disintegrate and we'll have to sell the stadium back and start playing at like Hackney Marshes again. And I actually look at it and say, there are quality players out there in Europe um, and he's one of them and it frustrates me. And you look at how brilliant he is, you could see what he had at Salzburg. And this is what happens if you take a punt on someone at that age and throw him in 
when he's young and fearless and hasn't got anything to worry about. And what you're seeing is one of the most complete centre-forwards in Europe at the minute. What I like about Haaland, though, <clears> is um, what, what I've kind of admired about him is that, obviously, you know, you've mentioned where he's come from and, and he obviously kind of made his name. Well, he started in Norway, but he obviously made his name when he went to RB Salzburg. January 2019, he went to Salzburg, spent a year there before moving to Borussia Dortmund. And at the time he was going to leave Salzburg, there were a number of clubs supposedly looking at him, watching him. And where you've got to give the guy credit, maybe not him directly, but the people that are advising him. We know his dad, obviously former Premier League player, um, is very much in his corner at 20 years old, it, it, it's quite kind of refreshing to see someone realise that actually I could I could go and join a super club and I could disappear like so many young talents have done in the past where they've tried to go from, you know, from the Austrian league or, or a less fancied league into one of the big ones straight away <clears throat> at a massive club. Yeah. But by going to Dortmund, what he's done is he's gone from Austria to Germany, culturally very similar. He's gone to a club that are good enough for him to show what he can do, that play a brand of football that allows him to showcase his talent, but also where the pressure is not so big like it would be at Bayern Munich, like it would be at Manchester United, like it would be at Liverpool. And for that, I actually think it's his team deserve credit and it's refreshing to see someone actually accept and understand the steps of progress that you should be making as a footballer in order to be the best you can be when you finally do get to the pinnacle. So I think they deserve a lot of praise for that. Yeah, it's really it's a really good point. And actually, it ties in nicely to how we started this show when we were talking about inexperienced managers. Take yeah. the same path. I know it's a risk. I know if, it, if, you, if you foul at Newcastle, you're unlikely to be offered a big job. But if you succeed at one of these clubs then the world is your oyster and then you're ready and then you've got a whole career ahead of you and you know what we've got to remember is there's like you said there's a lot of talents that don't make it there's a lot of good footballers who who don't make it and, it, and it's because they they make poor choices and they spend a year or two on, on a bench and they and they never really they never really recover um but back to his ability um in terms of you know bursting on the scene there's not been much like it in the last in the last few few years, um, for sure. The speed at which he scored his first twenty Champions League goals, I think, is absolutely ridiculous. I think it was in fourteen games. Um, I think someone else held someone else took the record off of Kane a couple of years ago, and he smashed that even further. Um, and he doesn't show any sign of, shot, of, of stopping. And now, actually, he can take he can take his pick. And if you're Barcelona, Juan Laporte, and all our conversations here are linking up quite nicely, really. Why do you want to try and convince Lionel Messi to stay at the end of his career? He doesn't really want to be there. Well, you could actively buy this guy. Yeah. You know, it, it, to me, it's an absolute no-brainer. You take the emotion is, out of the situation. He is somebody yeah. worth building a team around, isn't he? And when you're when you're looking at these clubs and we're talking about the need for a reset at Juve, maybe. We're talking about the need for a reset at Barca. You know, mm. he is the ideal player he's at the ideal age just 20 years old uh, you know he's somebody that you could quite confidently spend a vast amount of money on knowing that a he's going to deliver and b he's that good that you could build your new team around him yeah absolutely and 
and if it doesn't quite work out, you, you could you could sell him again. You know, the yeah. risk is the risk is so small. Um, and he's had that step, like you say, and a prime example of a player who took the wrong step and is now trying to recover from it is someone like Odegaard, who went to yeah, exactly who went to Real Madrid far too young and didn't quite work out. And there's, there's plenty of players like that. That Chelsea is normally the graveyard of decent footballers, and <laughs> and and it's just how it is. But yeah, no, he's fantastic, and him and him and Mbappe. I'm not a big um, I'm not a big fanboy of Spanish football. Like I don't sit and obsess about it. But if you look at the Ronaldo Messi rivalry over the years that has propelled Barcelona and Real Madrid, they're both in similar positions. Those two clubs at the end of the squads they have and needing to rebuild. If you got into a position where you had Haaland and Mbappe at one club each, um, spearing that forward, that would be a great a great boost for those two clubs in that league and that rivalry. For sure. For sure. Right, guys, um, we're going to talk a little bit about Liverpool, but um, I I know that some of you have put questions in the live chat and we've just been so engrossed in the conversation that we've not come to those yet. So if I could ask you kindly to drop them in the chat again, because quite frankly, the chat's been updating and I I can't scroll all the way back. So um, any questions you might have on anything, Champions League, Arsenal, football, um, whatever, life related, drop them in the chat. And uh, we'll come to as many of those as we possibly can. Um, you know, if you, ask, if you ask life-related questions to me, you will get some honest, frank advice. Take there, you there you, you go. You might regret it. He's a life coach, is our DDL. Uh, so make sure you get your questions in the live chat. We'll also be picking one of you in a few minutes' time to give us the Premier League predictions from the fans this week. And I'll be giving you an update on how the table stands a uh, quick reminder to hit the like button if you haven't done so already it really really helps the video um, if you're listening via the audio a review would be great please leave us a review uh, surely it's going to be five stars not that i need to tell you that but you know five star review you know the drill by now and um, if you're interested in becoming a member and getting access to our exclusive content as well as supporting the channel to bring you more uh, more stuff, basically, uh, then click on the link in the description and we'd love to have you on board. There are three different tiers available. And one of the benefits you get is that you will uh, get access to our private Discord server, which is always great fun. Um, Liverpool DDL, they got through tonight and I actually thought that, I know they had a commanding lead from the first leg, but I thought it might have been a little bit more difficult tonight given the form that they've been in. I thought they controlled the game pretty much throughout. Um, how much will Jurgen Klopp be kind of leaning on the European form at the moment to try and kind of lift the spirit to Anfield because their home record has been an absolute disaster of late and the wheels have really come off. This will be a big boost for Klopp and his side, won't it? Yeah, I think it's one of those where like he's told he's got to play his home game in Budapest and he he, he writes a letter to the government to thank them. Like, <laughs> that's, that's, that's the level of uh, a former in. Um, I, I watched the um, Barcelona-Paris Saint-Germain game, um, to, 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 to be fair. So in terms of watching the game, um, I, I didn't see it. I picked the other game tonight and, and I was glad I did just for the, uh, just for the entertainment value. But um, catching up briefly in the highlights, they didn't seem to have too many scares. I think there was one just before, just before the goal. Um, and a, a couple of chances just before half time that Leipzig could have potentially got a foothold in the game, but it seems like they saw it out pretty well. And and we've seen this before, where a lot of times where 
teams are struggling in the league for, for whatever reason, and we can talk about Liverpool's reasons in a minute if, if there's time, but the distraction of another tournament is just ma- is just is just a massive relief. Um, the pressure goes away and, and teams kick on. And, and you know, was, I think when Arsenal when Arsenal um eventually got to a Champions League final, um, after years of not making that stage, it was it was in the season where they were struggling in the league. Um probably their then they were scrapping it out for fourth, weren't they? And those annual yeah, dates and all that sort of stuff. And that was the season they had. They they finally made the breakthrough in Europe. Um, when Spurs got to the Champions League final, they'd lost thirteen league games and really, really struggling in the league. So it's just that distraction sometimes when you're struggling is is massive. You see a lot of times you see teams like who have a cup run out of nowhere, um, and it really gives them just a, a boost. Liverpool needed that. They needed to get through comfortably. They need another two games to look forward to. Um, to get buzz around the stadium. Imagine going out of the Champions League now and then having to slum it out in this league campaign. I think they're really suffering because where they've been challenging for major honours and winning major honours, now asking the players to dig their heels in to try and scrape fourth, that takes a lot of guts and stomach. And I think a few players are, are struggling with that. And no fans, yeah. I think, has impacted Liverpool more than most. Um, and the reason being is, their general behaviour and relationship with the fans is is, is strong. I'm not saying yeah. other clubs aren't, but you know, there's not many other clubs where you know they're they're celebrating with the the home end after they've drawn to a West Brom. Those things have a positive impact. <laughs> you know, but he he doesn't do it for nothing. You know, he does it to to build that affiliation with the fans. And it's no coincidence that Anfield turned into an unprecedented fortress over all those years. They've lost that injuries. I get that. Um, They've, they've literally got nothing to play for in the league anymore that's exciting. They haven't got an unbeaten record to protect at Anfield, which sometimes when you have those records, you find you find that extra 5% when it's slipping away. Yeah. And I think that's how you expect that's gone. Um, so they're, they're in real trouble. You know, they've got nothing to excite them in the league. So the Champions League distraction for them is absolutely massive. Agreed. Um, let's go over to some of the questions. T Talk says, who do you think will win the CL this year? My answer is that I, I still can't look past Bayern Munich. Dan, I don't know, just briefly, any thoughts on that one? Um, I think Bayern Munich is going to win the league as well, uh, the Champions League as well. Um, I'm always loathed. I'm always loathed to um, go for back-to-back um, just because it doesn't happen that often. But Bayern Munich are the best, are the best team in Europe. Um, if Man City might win it just because I slag them off every week and I deserve some bad karma. But yeah, Manchester, um, Bayern Munich for me. As yeah, well. agreed. Um, we've got this one from THLMK. I'm not sure how I'm supposed <clears throat> to pronounce that. But uh, the question is, do you think Kane leaves in the summer, DDL? And if so, where will he be off to? Um, yeah, I, I, do think he, I do think he leaves in the summer, um, to be honest. Um, I think... I think he might be tempted by Manchester United. I think it's um, if you're a if you're a goal scorer and you see what's going on there, and you see them crying out for a goal scorer, um, I, I think that's where he might go. I think I think with Kane, it, it it seems clear. I don't know him personally clearly, but it seems clear that he's obsessed with goal scoring records. So I don't think he'll go abroad while the Premier League um, record is still attainable. And I do believe he loves Tottenham as many players love their clubs. But I think the only reason he, the only excuse for staying at Tottenham now is to is to beat the Tottenham all-time goal-scoring record. I think that's important to him. But ultimately, I think 
He's been there seven years now, seven full seasons, and I think it will be one summer too far to justify him staying when there there's going to be an attractive offer. Yeah, we're talking about Haaland earlier, weren't we? We're talking about Mbappe. We're talking about all these young players. You're only the hottest property in Europe for a small amount of time. Harry yeah. Kane's already missed that window. Um, I don't think I don't think he'll want to stay another year and risk um and risk losing that opportunity. Yeah, I agree with you. And and I know I poke fun at Spurs a lot. Um, but ultimately, if he wants to win things, he and I'm not talking about, you know, and this is not a dig at Spurs because Arsenal are in the same boat, but we're not talking about Carabao Cups and FA Cups here. We're talking about a player who's got the ability to be winning Premier Leagues and Champions Leagues. And, and the reality is that at Spurs, it's not really going to happen for him. He's missed his chance at Spurs. That's, that's the yeah. reality of it. Um, and and you know he'll know that. It just come if he decides being the all-time scorer at Tottenham means more to him than than winning a, a, a league somewhere else. Then maybe he'll make that choice. If I was him, I would I would probably leave. But, you know he can always come back. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. Fun. They all did. There you go. Um, quick one on the North London derby. We're, we're going to bring a lot of content with regards to the North London derby in the next few days, all the focus from an Arsenal perspective right now is on that massive game in Greece tomorrow. But just quickly on this one, DDL, because we're running out of time. Um, are you confident ahead of the North London oh, derby? That no. Comes from Sam? no, fucking <laughs> hell. We, we don't win there. We haven't, won, we haven't won in the league at Emirates since 2010. Um, no, no, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm never confident that we'll win away from home in the North London derby, unfortunately. Um, if we get a draw, if we get a draw, I'll shake your hands, Sam, and, and we'll move on. That's what we like to hear. Uh, Rahil says, "Do you think any English teams will get knocked out in these rounds, both the CL and Europa League?" Um, I look at the Europa League draw first of all. Man United, I think they'll have enough to get past Milan, if I'm honest. Um, and as an Italian football fan, that pains me to say, but I'm not that impressed with Milan. I, I really am not. Um, I feel like their league position has been a little bit forced this year because actually, in terms of strength and depth, they have very little and they've won a lot of games that they really had no right to win. So, um, And I mean that in terms of their performances on the day. So I think Man United will progress. Rangers, Slavia, Prague is an interesting one because I, you know, Rangers, obviously Scottish champions, but Slavia, Prague just shocked the world when they dumped Leicester out. Uh, so I don't know about that one. I think Arsenal will progress against Olympiacos and I think Tottenham will progress against Dynamo Zagreb. Um, any sort of different thoughts on any of that, DDL at all? No, I, I mean, Arsenal have got the hardest tie, I think, of the uh, of the group. I agree with you. Milan uh, are wobbling. I think, you know, Olympiacos is the banana skin. I think the thing in Arsenal's favour is they lost to them. They lost to them last year and I think that will focus the minds. So I think, I think everyone will get through, um, including Rangers. Cool. Chelsea, of course, as well, take on Atletico Madrid, but they have an advantage in that one. Oh, yeah, I, forgot about, I forgot about them. Yeah, good point. Yeah, um, they've got an advantage already, haven't they, uh, from the first leg. Um, we're going to leave it there with the questions. Um, I'll take this one because I just like this. This just made me smile. Uh, is Saka going to nutmeg Socrates tomorrow and score a worldie? I bloody well hope so. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Um, right, let's, uh, let's go over to our little predictions league because... We've got a little predictions league going. Who wants to volunteer? First come, first served in the live chat. Uh, which of you would like to volunteer um, 
to do the predictions this week from the fans' side. So to give you an update on last week's results, uh, you guys, the fans, and I think it was Alcarp who picked them, only scored three points. So, yeah, it's a poor week. So three points um, for the fans this week. Alavi also had a stinker with six points. Um, I managed eight points, as did Dan DeLuca, eight points. So me and DDL on on the same score this week, Alavi on six, the fans on three. But in terms of the overall standings, this is how it now looks. DDL sits top on 34 points. The fans are second on 30 points. I'm in third on 29. So fans, I'm coming for you just a point behind after a really good week, closing the gap on you. And Alavi, no surprise, is uh, languishing in fourth place. Now I know why um, I didn't come on this week. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I thought we had an appointment. He had, a, I thought we had, a, a, he had another, um, some more punditry work elsewhere. But Yeah, no, that, that must be it, isn't it? I, I did say, didn't I, that I was going to give it to Matt G now that I'm remembering last week but i can't see matt g in the comments so we'll park that who else wants to do it rahil you can do it rahil uh rahil durani one of our members um you're going to be the man this week so rahil i will bring up the games coming up this weekend on the screen for you and whilst me and deluca wrap up the podcast um it would be great if you could put those predictions into the chat box if you could do them all in one message it really helps because then we don't have to scroll through uh don't worry you can abbreviate the teams if you want uh we're going to start from friday night's game which is newcastle aston villa and that will go all the way through to the monday night game which is wolves versus liverpool so let me put those up on the screen uh one second so that you can see them raheel whilst you put those predictions in. Try to be as quick as you can, if possible, mate. No pressure, but um, yeah. <laughs> there we go. The The games are on the screen. So let me just zoom out one more notch so you can see that Liverpool. Wolves am, I really, am I really going to write down that I think Arsenal are going to win the North London derby? That's the question. No, you don't have to write it down. You can type it on your phone. Send it to Alavi. I'm not interested. I don't do the, I don't do the predictions. That's Alavi's department. Um, while Raheel's doing those predictions, um, let, let's talk a little bit about the North London derby. I mean, I know this is um, this is obviously a Champions League reaction show, but obviously having you on DDO is the perfect opportunity to look ahead to that game. And I mean, from an Arsenal perspective, there's a there's a, quite a concern about the fact that we've got this major tie, um, you know, against. Uh, against Olympiacos, the North London derby sandwiched in between. We're having to travel an awful long way uh, to go to Greece and to come back. And then on Tot- in Tottenham's case, obviously things have have worked out quite favourably. I know that it's due to kind of restrictions and things like that, but they've had their game switched. So their home leg uh, is this week. It is this week yeah. instead of being away. It, yeah. In terms of giving us some insight onto how Mourinho sees this. Because we as Arsenal fans, I think we can all agree that although we don't want to lose the North London derby, right? You never want to lose the North London derby. We kind of accept that whether we win it or not isn't going to really increase our chances of qualifying for the Champions League. However, the Europa League offers us a route back into that competition and ultimately offers us the opportunity to turn this season from a miserable failure into a success. 
So we yeah. kind of accept that the Europa League is the priority at this point. How do you think Mourinho will see it though? Because of course, he's programmed very differently. He's programmed for trophies, 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 trophies. That's ultimately why he was brought into Spurs. Do you think he'll be looking at the, the Europa League and feeling the same way as we are? Or do you think that he will, in his kind of d- attempts to appease the fans, maybe still pay attention there? It's such a tough one, isn't it? It's a tough dilemma because you've got Spurs still can reach fourth. I don't think Arsenal can, if I'm honest. Um, and then you've got the trophy element. Then you've got the fans element. Mourinho is such an egotistical fucker. He, I don't think he'll care that much about upsetting the fans. But then you've got the other element in that he openly hates Arsenal. And he's so proud of this record of like never or rarely losing to Arsenal in however many times he reminds us. So... Um, I think he will he will um, hold some players back for Arsenal. Um, I don't think he'll start Bow on Thursday night. I think he'll unleash Bow uh, against Arsenal. Is, is my is my prediction. Um, I think he'll start Ali on Thursday night. So I think he will hold some players back for Arsenal. Um, I mean, let's be honest. Let's all be honest. We are both so bad. We're only really excited about this game out of habit. Like it's the most uninspiring North London derby for however many years. Yeah, we're we're scrapping it out in mid table. Um, we want to win it, of course we do. Away from home, even winning away from home at Emirates, you know, if you do that and there's no fans there, it's just like worse than if there was fans there. It's just the most uninspiring North London derby for so many years. But I think Mourinho will hold some fans back to answer your question. Um, he, he's kind of got the, the the luxury to do that though, hasn't he? Because the, of the nature has. of the draw, he's got. A... Yeah, he has. But I guess if you if you take the North London derby out here a minute, when the switch was made, I was frustrated because we were drawn at home second, and now we've got to play at home first. Everyone knows it's an advantage to be at home second. You want to be at home second, right? So for us to be moved, even though they're empty stadiums, it, it has annoyed me somewhat. You know, we now we've now got a harder a harder arrangement in the Europa League than we needed. And as you pointed out, that is the that should be the number one priority. Um it gives us a it gives us a benefit here. Um I, I think the Arsenal players are, are better than are better than that, to be honest. I think they'll they'll find they'll find the energy they need. I, I Spurs do like to take the lead at the Emirates and Arsenal like to come back. I don't know if not having the fans in will will make it harder in that scenario, but I do think Arsenal will find the energy they need to get to get through the fixture. I don't think it's going to be a massive impact. I don't know the the difference between a half past twelve kickoff and a half past four. I'm sure Jurgen Klopp will tell it to me if I ever met him in an elevator. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I think I think Arsenal will be all right. I, I I don't think it's going to have a huge impact. I think it's a slight disadvantage. I hope you are bloody right. Right, Rahil, thank you so much for those predictions, mate. Nice and swift, brilliant stuff. Uh, thank you so much. Don't worry, I've screen grabbed them and uh, they'll be sent off to Alavi to input into his little cool spreadsheet from which he works out uh, all the scores. What's that? Has he got a gem? Oh, yes. We, yeah, good, good shout, man. I, I'm not very good at this prediction shit. Rahil, you need to pick a game um, that you see as your gem and it's got to be one that you know, is not obvious. So, you know, for example, um, you know, you've got, I don't know, you've got, I'm just having a look. Um, uh, you've got Liverpool to beat Wolves. Like, that's not, 
Oh no, sorry, you got Leicester to beat Sheffield United, right? That's not an obvious. Uh, that is an obvious one, kind of thing. So you need to. It needs to be one that's a little bit outside the box. Looking at what you've got. Um. Difficult, uh, Sam says. Liverpool winning, yeah. To be fair, nowadays that's not a bad point. Uh, looking at what you've got, I'd probably say oh, it's tough. It's a tough group. Um, he doesn't have any, but you get double points on a gem. So, should we let him have Liverpool? Read him out. What's that? Read him out quick. Newcastle nil, Villa one. Leeds yep. nil, Chelsea two, Palace yep. one, West Brom one, Everton yep. two, Burnley one, Fulham nil, Man City three, Southampton two, Brighton nil, Leicester three, Sheffield United one, Arsenal one, Spurs one, United two, West Ham two, Wolves one, Liverpool two. It's tough, isn't it? Because they're all he's, he, he he's played the favourite. I might copy his selections. Actually, he's done quite he's done quite well there. We'll give him give him give him one of the draws. Let him pick one of the draws. United West Ham draw. Yeah, go on. you can pick one of the draws, Raheel. So you can either get the North London derby, the United West Ham. Probably seems like the, the fairest way to do it. Um, you don't have to change it, Raheel. You want to score as many points as you can, man. So I don't want to take it. Um, I don't want to take any of your predictions away from you because they look pretty good. Uh, he's going to go with United West Ham. Right, that's the gem. Cool. Um, lovely stuff. Right, that brings us to the end of this week's edition of The Social Club. Hope you've enjoyed it. My thanks to... Uh, the brilliant Mr. Dan DeLuca for joining me. It's been a good chat. Um, yeah, and there were there were no bad Alavi jokes this evening. <laughs> He's going to get no, upset. I, me, I, 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 think I've, I think I've missed at least one bad Alavi joke. <laughs> I've missed him. Um, you know, when he uh, he pretends that he's listening, but actually what he's doing is he's looking at his reflection in the camera and he's sitting like this and he's flexing the muscles and all of that and he's actually watching himself. Um, you, you know, you do catch him doing that from time to time. But yeah, uh, lovely stuff. Dan, thank you so much, mate. Really appreciate it. We will be back tomorrow with some more content gearing up towards Arsenal's huge game against Olympiacos. It will be uh, my lineup and prediction around about lunchtime. Then it will be the live watch along in the evening, followed by the post-match reaction show. So loads to come uh, between now and that and tomorrow night. So uh Big game, plenty of focus on it and fingers crossed we get a positive result and then all attention can turn towards the North London derby that Sam even says in the chat. I've noticed him doing that. <laughs> Love that. Uh, it is a thing. It really is. High objects off his shelf. And... Yeah, I, just quickly before we go, I once went to Alexandra Palace with um, with Alavi and you know, you know when you walk into the main hall, Dan, you know there's like this long corridor of just mirrors so on the side, it's just mirrors. Alavi yeah. literally walked down that corridor with his head like this. Like he was literally watching himself the whole length of the corridor. Didn't look forward once. Could have walked into anything. Uh, but there you go. Right, we're going to leave it there. And we'll be back very, very soon. Until next time, take care. Good night. Cheers. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.